So this evening I was sitting by the fire, writing this introduction, and jamming out to some fantastic tunes by my next guest, David Birchfield. So it's commonly said that people are what make a place special. In this episode, Dave reflects on how his interactions with fellow Philmont staff taught him that one could live a life outside of the traditional norm. Also, that we can do more than we realize with our bodies, our will, and our minds. All of which shifted his priorities in life, solidifying for him that time in nature and time with friends in a simple setting is what means the most. Dave went on track in 2004. He was a ranger in 2007. In 2008, he was an environmental educator with the ROCKS program. In 2009, PC at Crater Lake. And 2010, he worked on Khan's A-Team, was a dance band coordinator and base camp carouser. <laughs> the life of a Philmont staffer is lighthearted and fun for sure, but it also opens doors for serious, deep conversations about the meaning of life. Especially while making and executing plans to hike to see a friend or a lover with less than 12 hours to spare, yet you still go. You still hike to that camp, sleep on the roof under the stars, and talk for hours. There's a fleeting limitlessness to those encounters. Today, Dave is an ultra runner by day and performing musician by night. The Philmont backcountry campfire scene and his summer at Crater Lake taught him how to be a performer and influenced the music he would go on to write, produce, and play. We discuss the songwriting process and favorite tunes from his discography. Referring to the song titled Ain't Gonna Be Easy on his album State to State, Dave says, The wildness and energy of our youth doesn't go away. It just becomes more compartmentalized and controlled. This song is a love letter to friendship, celebrating what it is to have a friend who knows you, where you came from, and who can remind you of who you are. So check out Dave's music on Bandcamp, Spotify, and his website, which I will link here in the show notes. Oh, and if you've registered for the first ever Philmont Trail Race happening this August, you will see him there. All right, guys, I'm here today with David Birchfield. He's coming from Salt Lake City, Utah today on this beautiful Sunday. How are you, Dave? I'm good. How are you, Caitlin? I like secretly love interviewing for many reasons, but especially to kind of escape the chaos of my wonderful children. So I'm really <laughs> excited to get to spend an hour talking to you today. Yeah, it's so fun to like relive the Philmont days too. I, I just started listening once we scheduled this. So sorry, I didn't jump on early, but it's really fun to like listen back to some of my friends, like tell the stories that are familiar to me. I'm from Kansas City originally and grew up in Cub Scouts and I was like super into scouting. And then my first troop was like not welcoming and or organized. So I sadly <laughs> left scouting for a while. And then um, like my dad was volunteering at our council camp just went to visit him one day one summer and I like something clicked and I was like I have to come back to scouting I'm so glad I did I was like 16 and a half at the time and came back as a second class I think and so I got it all done yeah yeah <laughs> but um yeah so then I guess the summer after that my really only summer <laughs> in scouting as a youth aside from my earlier days was when we went to Philmont on my first trek yeah, that was in 2004. You were a Trek participant. And how old were you then? Uh, like 17 and a half. Okay. So like every staffed camp would be like, you should try and work here, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like people. Yeah. Do. What did you think? How did it feel to be on Trek? And did it make you want to work there? It's like planted a seed. So like growing up in Kansas City, I mean, I definitely loved to camp and be outside, but when I first heard about Philmont, like as a younger scout, I didn't understand it. I was like, so they just walk like all day? <laughs> I don't get it. Why would you do yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is really funny to that, that I had that as just like such a product of where I grew up that like I just couldn't comprehend spending all day in the mountains. And now that's like 
I try to do that as much as possible um, today. So went out there. Obviously, the trek was amazing. Me and my buddy, buddy Bryce Blankenship, who I think you just interviewed, um, mm-hmm. grew up uh, as friends in Kansas City. And we started talking about the idea of going on an adventure to Philmont. But it took a couple years. So I didn't, my first summer, I was 20. <laughs> I so regret missing. I should have just come straight back the next year after my trek. Because what was I? I was like painting houses in Kansas City or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, took the Southwest Chief from Kansas City and showed up in Raton and uh, it was such an adventure. So, yeah, it's cool that you got to go with someone from your hometown. And I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. So, I can relate to the, like, not being able to conceptualize Philmont or understand uh, what it is like to, what it's like to be in a space where outdoor recreation and living amongst the outdoors comes easier, you know, because in the Midwest, you can find it, but you just got to, like, really intentionally plan and typically drive pretty far to find something uh, exotic enough to call, like, an outdoor experience. (laughs) Um, Was the landscape of Philmont inviting did you feel like you're on another planet what was that like (laughs) we'd done summer stuff in colorado as a family so okay it wasn't like my first side of mountains but it was my first time like ever being in the backcountry which is just such a unique and cool experience to know that you're far away from civilization of course at that time there was no reception anywhere i don't i don't think i even had a cell I might not have owned a cell phone yeah so, awesome yeah <laughs> for the good old days and you your first summer in 2007 you were a ranger so you did end up doing a lot of walking around I yeah. guess of, at Philmont well it's yeah I mean it, it's funny that I didn't make the connection earlier on or maybe I had by the time I went on trek because I ran cross-country in high school and so like athletic movement on my legs is like still something that's really important and fun for me and so yeah that's i got really into that aspect of being a ranger that first year of like just hiking absurd amounts on that one day off between crews you know yeah (laughs) what are some takeaways from that that first summer people that were influential or uh do you remember your first crew or a specific crew i think my big takeaway that summer i mean it changed my life like it does for so many people in a a number of ways like the first that comes to mind being that as i got there and got to meet people from all over the country who were working at philmont some who were doing the seasonal guide thing like year-round being pretty happy i was just the first time i'd ever considered that you could have a life that wasn't in the suburbs of a midwestern city with a two-story house and three kids or whatever (laughs) not that there's anything wrong with that and i still kind of want that in some ways but like sure yeah uh, I just I never realized that you could do it any other way yeah until that summer um it kind of started opening my eyes to the idea that your life can be anything you want it to be and yeah so then with that we'll make a connection in a minute here but sure just one story from that year I met uh Pete Weber who's now became that summer and is still one of my very best friends in the world we were both rangering crews at Yuraka Mesa and Rosie was working at Rosie Gallegos was working there <laughs> and Rosie was like oh you guys both play instruments you should do the campfire tonight it'll be amazing <laughs> you guys should do this song it's like a pretty like complex like a more complex song for, for the film out songbook and uh we just dove in I'm sure it was a total train wreck but like we had a lot of fun and <laughs> He and I still play music that way in in some ways. Like when we gig together, like, oh, yeah, I think I've heard that one. Go ahead and lead it. I'll follow, you know. Yeah, Um, just dive in. Yeah, but uh, so we did that. And then, and I'd been thinking about the Ranger Marathon for a couple days and, um, or weeks or whatever. This is probably mid-June, late June. And we both had the next day off. So we were like, cool, let's do it. We just met each other. And so we hiked back to Lover's Leap together or maybe it's a different turn. We hiked back to a turnaround together um, to get to his car that next day. Then like by the end of that following day, we were up at Dan Beard to, to get started the following day. But yeah, I remember getting in that car, driving down the Lover's Leap Road and he had this band, Yonder Mountain String Band playing in his car and I'd never heard 
I'd never even heard music like that really. <laughs> you know, yeah. so many so many things that, that my eyes were open to that summer and just really cherish that memory with Pete and like becoming such fast friends. I remember we were trying to set the speed record that summer and we, we did until Piper Niehaus um, came along later that year. Um, but we were like pushing hard all day and barely knew each other. We got to, uh, Oh, what's the end of it called? Carson Meadows. Well, Carson Meadows. (laughs) (laughs) How old do we sound? Um, (laughs) we got to Carson Meadows and I was like throwing up and this guy I met two days before is like rubbing my back while I'm doing it, you know? So we, we became really good friends that year. And, Part of that was just syncing up our days off together, basically, for the rest of the summer. And that's something that Pete taught me that, you know, I still continue to try to learn more about from him, which is that you can, you know, there's rules and there's like structures and the way that organizations and things work. But if you are creative and friendly, you can make a lot of things happen. (laughs) So we just like befriended the Ranger scheduler and we got the schedule we wanted <laughs> for pretty much the rest of the year. Um, hey. Which meant that we got to hike together. Some, it doesn't hurt to ask. Yeah, You can always ask. Do you guys, do you remember what the record you set was before Piper then crushed it? <laughs> uh, yeah. I think we did it like around 15 hours. Yeah. Was it hard for you? Like being kind of, like you said, running marathons and cross country before? I hadn't run marathons before okay. that. Um, just cross just country. Cross but I mean, by that point in the summer, I think it was late June. So we'd been on our feet all day, every day yeah. for a few weeks by that point, And we we're young and quick to, you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I mean, yeah, it was for sure. <laughs> just It was kind of a joke between us. But we uh, basically, anytime we were coming into a staffed camp, we would run in and like fill up our waters and then run out. Just, and then we start it, hiking yeah. but then people would think we were running you know <laughs> give it that dramatic uh, effect yeah <laughs> i like it yeah. <laughs> what other takeaways from that that first summer in 2007 which by the way was my first summer as well i was a pc at Bobby on that summer i guess i'll t- yeah i'll tell a story that kind of makes the point of what i'm getting at but i learned um this sounds cliche to say, but just how much more we can do than we realize with our bodies and with our, our will and our minds. Um, I guess the story for that in, on top of all the like massive hikes I did with Pete, I think we also did black death or whatever that year as well. One job I was given, Doug Palmer set us up with this job. Me, I can't remember the guy's name. I think it was Matt, another ranger. I didn't know well, um, we were driven up to Ring Place to help with some New Mexico SARS training. Basically, our job was, okay, he said, okay, guy, like, hike back in that canyon, set up camp, and then don't leave until they find you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's what we did. And it didn't, I mean, it was like the next, they, they found us that morning or whatever. And so yeah, <laughs> we thought, cool, like, it's 11 a.m. We, we actually have time. We could hike because I think we were south of Ring Place or something. I can't remember the geography that far north that well anymore, but we were trying to hike to Dan Beard, and what looked like a trail or a fence line on the map of one of the neighboring cattle ranches turned out to not have anything at all on it. So we ended up like in the middle of nowhere, pretty lost, and having to do like the ranger skills thing of triangulating our position and just walking on a heading and hoping we hit something that we would recognize eventually. And it's funny because we were on this SARS like training thing right before (laughs) that. (laughs) Oh, I forgot this other. Oh my gosh. Speaking of triangulation. I mean, it was silly. We, so we're in this like burn scar area of just like rolling Hills that everything looks the same. And so at some point we were like, well, let's drop our packs here, go to the top of that thing and get a heading and then we'll come grab our packs and keep going. And then, of course, we, we turn around after getting in the heading. We're like, where are our packs? Like, everything looks the same. That's when <laughs> I started freaking out. I was like, we're out of water. Doug actually doesn't know where we are. <laughs> and now we've lost our packs. <laughs> it's a real SAR all uh, of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. So then we're like walking 
separately and like now we're gonna get separated but we're like shouting so we could like still hear each other we eventually found the packs and then we found uh, a road north ish of dan beard we yeah we followed followed that road into dan beard and and that summer i was i was dating allison vinson allison defreeze now and so and that's where she worked um and so it was super fun to like get to come survive <laughs> and <laughs> and then she's there and um was you know of course kind and welcoming and the staff like i think they had like steak and guacamole for dinner oh wow like, the best meal i've ever had so that's a good ending yeah yeah <laughs> much better than it could have been yeah <laughs> i think that night and i wanted to hang out for a while because allison was there but then we had i think we had to work the next day so we hiked the canyon down to poneal in the dark hoping we would like hit someone who was had was visiting the cantina show with a vehicle right and we found a family and but it was a full car so i think there were kids sitting on our laps or whatever but that's how we got down that night <laughs> <laughs> i love it everything about that story there's so many like classic the the classic like chaos be be flexible scramble um parts of the film I experience in it thing about 07 was bryce who i'd gone to filmout with was at pueblano and so i i made pretty frequent visits to him up there and that's when i first started experiencing the filmout campfire thing and and that tied with hearing that music in pete's car that's when i really started falling in love with this kind of music that i do for a living now <laughs> yeah that's when i first started experiencing the the Philmont backcountry campfire scene and eventually as we'll talk about ended up a logger myself so yeah so you you were a ranger that first summer came back in 2008 as a environmental educator and working with rocks Mm -hmm. um i guess that's sort of along the same path like ranger into conservation um there's some similarities there what uh yeah what did it feel like that summer to to work in that department the cons department's awesome it's yeah a really tight-knit bunch um, I think it's smaller than the ranger department. And so, and and there's a lot of people who are pretty diehard stuck to that department for their whole time at the ranch. So there's a really nice ongoing community. And I, I was in three different departments over my time at the ranch, but I liked that I felt connected to each of those families as it were. And, and the cons department's definitely a tight knit family, a good bunch of people to be around. And I'd learned a ton. Um, it was like, really hard work to we, we were kind of redeveloping the curriculum that year i think they do that all the time now it seems like yeah. every, every time i visit it's like half of the environmental educator's job is to continually be developing more stuff so yep but yeah that was a great summer it's really different because it would be you know three weeks on and then i think i had like nine days off or something oh wow um, yeah I just went and saw my my girlfriend at the time in a different city you know but yeah uh, so you came back then a third summer um 2009 you were a logger uh at crater lake (laughs) yes yeah and uh finally got to play at that amazing campfire bowl with the incredible view of the tooth i mean i can't actually decide whether 07 or 09 was the best summer of my life i I loved 08 as well but those two summers were really special and the biggest thing about that country that's different than any anything else especially at a smaller camp like that is just how close you get with the people you work with i mean to the point that i think in those days before there were lady loggers that it was probably obnoxiously inside for people coming from the outside <laughs> but we yeah we just like really loved each other and and still do all those guys are still like some of my best friends and we keep in touch weekly so yeah, we just got really close and it was a pretty talented group of musicians, all our powers combined. And we had so much fun with the, the show that year. And so, do, do you remember like a favorite song or did you bring any influences that year as far as music goes to the to the campfire? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I had found this song, uh, Breakfast in Hell, in the off season that year by this guy Slade Cleves and I was like this is perfect we have to do this at the logging camp and um, had some like a great time developing it Pete came up with the idea of having the scouts like do the who's and haws in the, like, nice. the later verse yeah. and 
just like super fun developing that and uh i guess they they still do it at the ranch which is mm-hmm. really cool i don't i would guess that nobody who's there now knows that that was me and that's fine i'm just really glad they still do the song that is a badass contribution i will say um even my kids know that song like we play <laughs> that song jimmy will grab the guitar and play it uh it has some awesome energy that is a really a really good song to have at a logging camp at Philmont Scout Ranch. Do you remember, did you just have like one show or did you develop like two or three or what was kind of the philosophy behind your campfire that summer? I think yeah. it just developed throughout the summer. You know, we yeah. started with some stuff. Um, like I remember, like one thing that happened was uh, Alex Pagnata's fiddles sound post broke. And so we had all these like fiddle based things figured out for like the first couple of weeks and then there was no more fiddling, you know, <laughs> but then I think around that time was when we met Bob Freeman, who is a, a friend of Brian Gray um, and a scouter from Tampa Bay. And I don't know if he's still around, but he was an older guy then and a very uh, successful, financially successful lawyer. And he just loved being around. So he, he befriended us like made it clear that he was willing to do whatever we needed and so we just like shot the moon we we're like can we get an upright base and he you know he got one from yeah. the school district <laughs> among lots of other things he brought us um including <laughs> some you know like lot i mean just lots of things some really nice cigars that happened nice. a lot he would just come up and hang out i don't know bryce probably mentioned this late in the summer he he, he just kept coming back to visit uh from florida and later in the summer he he just said you guys have an open tab at the james under my name (laughs) (laughs) which is just an insane thing to give to (laughs) six like 21 year old boys (laughs) that's like the best type of uh staff amigo you could ask for (laughs) i mean it was amazing i i hope i can do that for some staff at some point that would be so fun you know, there's nothing like just some carefree, good fun. Uh, that's kind of hard to come by these days. Um, so I hope everyone in their their early 20s gets to experience that type of summer at Philmont. I think I think they are still experiencing that. Yeah. Um, what else? Anything else from Crater? Do you remember um, any challenges or growth opportunities, people that really mentored you at Philmont? Yeah, I mean, this, this might carry us into 2010, but... okay. Yeah, I'd love to talk about Tim Culver. He uh, was someone that I met my first summer. I don't remember where he worked in 07, but well, I know he was at Rich in 08. Yeah. Um, and going up to see him and Ellie Nickens and Allison Vincent and Iron John and a few others, they were doing, they had just an amazing show because Tim was such a great, he was the best musician at Philmont um, at that time. And, uh, obviously like such a like strong personality in all the best ways you know he was he was gonna make sure everybody had a good time and did stuff they didn't think they were even capable of and um he did that for me too like i really idolized him as a musician early on and and wanted to like be as good as him be able to keep up with him and eventually i got there which was really cool but um yeah, I really looked up to to Tim, and he he came around Crater a few times that summer, but more so connected with him um, in other ways, including in 2010, which was um, a really special and unique summer. I don't think any, you know, most people get to experience something like this. But I had been living in Guatemala City for uh, basically a school year, doing work with a nonprofit. It was like my first job out of college. And so, okay, so Guatemala City is like an incredibly difficult place to live, very stressful, very dangerous. And I'd gone through like a, a really painful breakup. And as that was wrapping up, it was April or something. I, I didn't feel like I wanted a whole nother summer at the ranch, but I knew that I wanted to do something with my May basically that would help me clear my mind and reset my soul. And so I called Mark Anderson and asked if I could just come do a team, which is just, you know, what conservation does before the season starts with a small group of people to clear trails and get the 
camp ready for hikers. Um, and Mark brought me up and, um, got to do that. I was on a, a few different crews, but ended up on at, towards the end of that time with Tim pretty consistently for a couple weeks. I think me, him and Alice Paulding, what's her married name? Gabriel. Gabriel? Yeah. 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 I, man, I remember like thinking of her as like such a badass, which she is, but like, me you know, too. This like strong, beautiful woman wielding a chainsaw. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so it was the three yeah. of us uh, doing a bunch of A-team stuff, wandering around the backcountry and clearing trees from trails. And um, yeah, we had a great time. Worked so hard. I remember one day we like, I think we did, you know, 18 miles over a bunch of r- vertical gain and clearing trails to the whole trees the whole way and getting back to Phillips Junction where we were based for a few days on that run. And um, Tim and I like didn't have instruments, but we just like had a little acapella jam and sang as many verses of Shady Grove as we could possibly imagine. It probably took 20 or 30 minutes. And um, I think if I got, if I uh, connected with Alice, she would still tease me about that. Because <laughs> um, she just had to like sit there and watch us. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful memory. Yeah, oh, yeah. I and as that. A team finished up, I had another week or so left to to do what I could to help out. And Mark tasked Tim and I with the most amazing Philmont job there ever was, which was to basically hang out in base camp and put together a band to do the staff dance, but you know, everybody else we were recruiting had jobs during the day. And so we would basically wander around base camp and flirt with women. And, uh, <laughs> gotcha, yeah, gotcha. specifically Barbara Garcia as much as possible, you know, drink coffee and then like, and obviously visit people we wanted to play with us, but, you know, put together some charts, but, to, but it was like pretty easy going days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd have these rehearsals at night and that was just, you know, super buddy buddy time for me and tim those those weeks on the trail and then that week of like putting the band together and putting the dance together and it was super fun i remember that one i remember the dance and the music and you guys did a good job it was like it was a good jam it was so fun before we kind of move on to what you're doing today and as a performing artist singer songwriter do you anything else from philmont just so i don't miss anything you may have wanted to share i still have that feeling every spring like it's time to start packing a a box and get ready to go it's such a special place to me and um yeah i miss that i think i think it's just simplicity um there's no it might be different now but i didn't have a cell phone there was no service in base camp even and there was nothing else to do i mean some people would drive to taos or Trinidad, which after like doing that winding Canyon as a passenger once or twice, I, and like you go to Walmart and eat some pizza, which is fine. But eventually I was like, it seems like a much better deal to catch a ride in a bourbon and check out a corner of this beautiful piece of land that I might not otherwise see. And so, yeah, I think that that really began to shift my priorities in life and, and teach me that that, time in nature and time with friends in a really like simplified setting is what matters most to me and still is. Yeah. I miss that feeling. I miss the, um, something I always say to people about film. It's so hard to explain, but the idea of like how quickly you make a bond with somebody and explain like, well, it's this huge piece of land. There's like a thousand people who work there. So if you see someone like three times in a summer, they're like your best friend, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see them again, or, or, you know, there's people you see plenty more, especially if you're on a, a cons crew or a backcountry staff or something. But um, yeah, especially that ranger summer, it was like, oh yeah, that one person that I haven't seen in like a month, but what's up, man? Nice to yeah. see you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There's just, yeah, there's, there's an ease to, to making a, a friendship or a bond in, in a, such a different way than anywhere else, really, which I, I love about it. 
Yeah, especially that creator, that group of creator guys from 09. I mean, we it's hard to explain just how close we became that summer and and still are. Yeah. Yeah, there's some ridiculous ridiculous <laughs> things we did. Did uh, did Bryce talk to you about Dimitri or Mungo? Oh, Mungo, yeah. He talked about Mungo. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we, we also had so we had this guy Andrew Garner on staff who Maybe you should talk to. Uh, he's just a funny man, and he had this really great Russian accent. And he would just take a character of Dmitri, who's kind of like this severe Russian character of like you know, if you stack the wood, wood wrong, I smash your face. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember a couple times he kept the character all day, and so we had some like crew reviews come back that were like the Russian logger was really mean. <laughs> <laughs> you just get in your own world. Yeah. I don't know what, why that made me think of this, but here's a good story from that summer. We something yeah. loggers do is try to like see how fast they can climb the spar pool. And so I remember one one day I um we'd finished up to af- afternoon pulls and I just had like whoever was on the pulls with me like belay me or donkey me as they they call it. Um and I put on the spars and was going for it when I like gaffed my calf. Ouch. So like, yeah, <laughs> pretty, yeah, yeah. It was like surprising and not good. Um, and that was you know at like I don't five p.m. I don't remember the timetable of a crater day exactly, but let's say it was about five, and the show's at seven or seven thirty or something. And who happens to be in camp but Gene Schnell? So of course Gene, who I'm sure there's so many stories on this podcast about him, but he was just a total badass who would do anything to make the ranch work better, including in this case skipping dinner and being out way too late. He he was there when this happened, and he he took me down to the health lodge. I got stitched up and got me back, and I like I basically got back into camp and walked straight to the campfire bowl. And we oh did my gosh, <laughs> that's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, classic Gene story, really. Yeah, wow, Gene Schnell for the win. This is a question just sort of coming to me now, and I just kind of jumping back to 2010 on on uh, that A team, and then the week with um, Alice and Tim. Are you guys having like deep conversations of existentialism? Or are you guys like focused on working? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. I don't think Tim had very many shallow conversations <laughs> no that's he did not um, that's true yeah and and i i really needed a friend to come close to me in, in that time and help me get my head back on straight after that really hard year that i i'd mentioned um we yeah we talked we talked about everything and you know what is the meaning of life and relationships and love and, and we talked i'm sure about a lot of music so there's no better setting to have those conversations than, you know, outside uh, in the woods while you have like one singular job in front of you that you can check off. And it's like you said, simple. I don't think I had very many. I Maybe it's just the way that people in their early 20s are like or just I, I don't or maybe it's Philmont. But I just feel like there I mean, there were definitely lighthearted party times but it feels like every hike i was ever on went pretty deep on the the talking yeah um like i remember walking pueblana road with katie nestle and just getting to know her but talking about pretty big life stuff on the way up there and i remember i think it was that ranger year or it may have been 08 um pete was dating somebody at miners park and uh and so we wanted to go see her, but we just had like the the night, you know, we got off at five and had to be back at like eight or something the next day. And so we drove up to Lover's Leap and got to Myers Park after dinner and played, what was that game? It's like rock, paper, scissors, but you stand on a table and it's like a whole body thing. Oh, I don't know. Bell? No, I don't know this game, but I want to know. <laughs> and and like when you won, so the the, day, the way they were doing it is when you won, you got to like wear that person's that you'd beaten their staff badge. Okay. So there's a picture of me somewhere with like twelve staff badges on. 
standing nice. on the Miner's Park dining room table. <laughs> and we slept on the roof that night and looking up at the stars and talking about talking about life, man. And man, the amount of times on days off, especially oh seven, oh eight, um, because of the nature of those jobs, that I would do something that was like, okay, after dinner, but before five AM the next day. You know, like, yeah, we're just gonna go to Miner's Park for your uh to sleep on the roof and then use a uh, hypothetical sweat lodge um, and then be ba- like get up at five so we can be in for work on time. It's funny. I don't, that's not anything I would have ever done by myself or like considered a, a way to live a life before then. And to be honest, I still kind of live that way and <laughs> I'm getting too old for that, but <laughs> nah, no, keep it up. Keep it up. Keep living like limitlessly. I just feel like it's limitless. You can, you can use every hour of our time here on earth to, to do something. Why not? You mentioned the influence that Philmont music and music from being around a bunch of different people from different places um, had on the influence that that had on you. And today you teach private lessons, but you're also a professional musician. You've got three albums that I know of, and then you've uh, contributed to the podcast before with the Road to Black Mountain, um, that single, and you perform and you tour and yeah. What is your life like, Dave Birchfield? <laughs> yeah, I'm carrying some of the lessons of what we just talked about as far as living fast and making use of every moment because that's kind of how I have to operate now because I'll, I'll often play a show till midnight and then get up the next day and go for a all-day mountain run or whatever. Um, so that's still kind of the way I'm living. <laughs> um, and then being on tour, you learn a lot about like sleeping on someone's porch is really easy for me now. So, <laughs> uh, set you up for success. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, not that there hasn't been a lot of touring since COVID, but, um, oh, yeah, yeah. but yeah, it's, I, I mean, that's, that was what taught me how to be a performer was that summer at crater. Really? I'd like played a little bit before that. And obviously I've played a bunch since then, but that, you know, playing every single night for a whole summer, you just hone your ability to be on stage and entertain an audience and play your instrument so much that um, I don't, I don't know where I'd be without, I don't think I'd be able to hang with bluegrassers at all were it not for that summer. Cause there's kind of a lot of downtime, um, especially if like on morning polls or whatever, if that's what you've got and there's nobody there. So I just I practiced a ton and then we'd play and we're like learning all these songs together and, learning to play on the fly and and with those guys like i still like i said i still play with pete weber uh whenever i'm out his way and when tim was around i'd he i mean he was booking me for shows in new mexico basically to get me to come visit him but um yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah uh, i'd get to go down and he'd book stuff and we'd jump in together and play and so yeah so that's that's the life i live now it's just like a lot of music all the time and late nights, early mornings between, you know, shows and being in the mountains, which is still something that I do all the time. I've, I've become an ultra runner. So I run on trails a lot. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's like, that all began with falling in love with roots music and specifically bluegrass and old time music at the ranch. And it was just the tip of the iceberg, the songs I learned there, but it started me down this path that I'm still on. Yeah. Yeah. And would you call would you call it Americana, indie Americana? Um, yeah. I mean, I when I listen to your music on Spotify, that's where I listen. You know, it's it's kind of that mix of folk music, obviously the bluegrass influence, and then some yeah. Ameri- Americana. And I love it. I love when I listen to it. I I think of Philmont. I think of those types of experiences that I had. So I can definitely hear hear the influence just knowing you personally as a friend. Yeah. Um, What's it like to write a song? I mean, when do you remember the first song you ever wrote? How 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 does one write a song? Um, just have a lot of emotions as a thirteen-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all been there, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I start I started playing guitar so I could play in church, um, and then 
wanted to start i just you know some of the musicians i liked a lot were songwriters and that inspired me to try and whoever is interested in that you just have to know like your first 100 to 1000 songs are just going to be terrible (laughs) (laughs) and that was definitely true (laughs) yeah it's like a meditative practice for me now it's it's how i some people journal or whatever it's like that's the thing i do that's reflective and helps me think about life and yeah it's really important to me yeah i've written a couple songs kind of about the ranch wrote a few songs about tim when he passed and i've been i really would like to make a filmont like a specifically filmont oriented record someday yeah i would like that too you should do that I'm I'm a journaler, so I can kind of relate to that. I've never, I mean, maybe I've like written a song when I was a kid or a poem that I was like, oh, I could put lyrics or put music to this. But there's a there's also there's storytelling songs, you know, songs that have a storytelling aspect to it. And on your album, State to State, um, the "You're Okay, It's All Right" song is that a true story? Yeah, yeah, I'll tell that story. Um... I'd made a couple records earlier in my twenties and then like went to grad school and was trying to do the like professional path thing for a while, which maybe I should still think about that. Yeah, <laughs> but, you got time. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I was like, I was a classroom teacher, fifth grade teacher for a couple years there. And, um, in my first, really my first year of teaching, I was driving my, my ex-wife scooter around town and and a truck drove into me basically uh and so i like i was fine it turned out you know just a broken nose really but um i had some downtime to recover and like i almost died you know so i hadn't had a guitar in my hands a lot for a while at that point but i picked up the guitar and just was like doing what i always do with songwriting reflecting on what had happened to me in that wreck and and what I wanted my life to be. And that's kind of what set me on the path of do, like pursuing music again in my life. And that was five years ago now, I think. The second verse of that, that song is about Jose Fernandez, who is this pitcher for the Miami Marlins, who happened to die in a boat accident the night that I had my, my thing happen. And I just wow. like happened to see coverage of that the, the day or two later of the wreck and then really the, the game after where his team, they all wore his, his Jersey and his number and they were all really emotional, obviously. And, um, this batter D Gordon hit a home run on his first at bat of the game. He like, he's not even really a home run hitter or at least wasn't at the time. And so he just ran the bases sobbing and his whole team met him at the at home plate. It was really moving to like, as that as a contrast to my experience so that's how that song got written okay whole new meaning for me when i listen to it now because yeah it's a favorite of mine to listen to because it's a storytelling song and uh, i like the lyrics and i i had no idea that was a true story dave yeah <laughs> wow yeah. i'm glad you like it i should mention too i don't know if bryce would have mentioned this but there's that song ain't gonna be easy on that record that's about him um, okay yeah and it's actually that chorus i had had back in high school when he and i were friends just like this idea of i know it ain't gonna be easy and i don't i didn't know what it was about really but years and years later i was thinking about him and and what it's like to know someone for a long time and for them to know who you are and where you came from and especially as we age and end up in maybe more traditional looking lives and have more responsibilities and that like wildness and energy of our youth doesn't go away, but it's just, you know, it's more compartmentalized or controlled or something. And so this song is, is really kind of like a love letter to him and our friendship and, and friendships like that, where we can kind of remind each other of, of who we are. It says, um, I'll remember who you are. Will you promise? Remember me, you know? Yeah. I think that's really important. I'm I can really relate to that being in this stage of life. Yeah, it's a good album. I I like that one a lot, the State to State album. Um and then there's also 
Well, I will say the state to state song is like one of my car jams. Like when I'm driving on a sunny day, that's a, that's a so jam. Awesome. A jam, and then um, I like the fiddle tune, the "Midnight on the Water" one, and yeah. um, that's a beautiful one. Uh, but I was gonna say on your your first album, the beginning. I like how, like to me, I don't know if if it had Philmont influence, but with the rain falling on the porch kind of being the intro and then like having the count-ins it's a little bit more of like a organic performance feel and I really like that album too I like the contrast between the two and my favorite song on that album is is the levee walk because it's like this carefree summer love song I like that one yeah that's just some shout shout outs honestly it's hard for me to believe that anyone actually listens to this stuff so that means a lot (laughs) thank you yes yeah and and this is not a plug to me at all, but my sisters and I just recorded this album for fun. We've been wanting to, so we've been singing since we were kids and we were like, let's just capture this for posterity's sake. And, and yeah. um, I have so much respect <laughs> for people who record music and it is a lot of work and I'm just doing it amateur hour. And, and you helped me Dave with um, recommending a friend to help us with mixing and mastering. And he's been great. And so just uh, like, I want to say like from one musician to another, but it's not that level. Like I'm not a musician, but I can kind of, (laughs) I have a new, huge, hugely humble appreciation for music. And it makes me even more willing and enthusiastic to like purchase music and support artists. So yeah, I love your stuff and um, keep, keep doing it. Keep sharing it. It's you're you've got talent. It's good stuff. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. And I, I had a lot of fun recording the album, so maybe we can play music sometime together. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. I would too. <laughs> we'll do it in like Tim Tim fashion. We'll just get a bunch of Philmont people together and That's right. play music. Yeah. Well we gotta have <laughs> Tim Fest every fall, one way or another. So. Oh, I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. <laughs> so we can slowly kind of start to wrap up stuff. Do you want to nominate anyone to be on the show? So I mentioned Andrew Garner. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess the Crater Boys of 09 are just going <laughs> to nominate each other. That's the deal. <laughs> I love um, it. <laughs> and have you talked to Allison DeFreeze? I have not. I, well, I talk to her like every other day. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're I good think, friends. I definitely but... think you should uh, should interview her. We had this idea that because she is like the the most cheerful and spirited person in the universe. And she and I had this idea in 07 that she should try to get a job as the roving, what, what, what did we call it? Like the roving scout spirit. Yeah. Basically someone to like go around and cheer people up all over the range. <laughs> I love that. I wish she, she would have done that job at some point. It would have been perfect for her. Well, so. I she does. She's a school teacher, so she has summers off. I mean. She could, could still do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this will be her motivation. But yes, I need to yeah, I interview. Talk to her. Interview. Okay. Sure. Allison, I'm going to come knocking. I'll give you one more too. Um, yeah. I don't think I've seen, I don't think I saw John Logan on the, on the list, but he uh, is a cool dude and like <laughs> kind of embraced the like, <laughs> um, interpretive history thing in a really, really real way. It yes, he does in a lot of ways in his life. And, and so yeah. I'd love to hear from him. And of course, he's got more Tim stories on the ranch than anybody. So, yeah. Uh, All right. Those are three golden names. I've got them down. Do you want to close with anything you're excited for for the future for for yourself, for yourself as a musician or for Philmont? Yeah, I'm always making new music and putting things out. I I think I'm going to. I don't know why I've been like not releasing a couple things I had, like the, the songs that I wrote for Tim. Um, but I think I'll put those out sometime soon. Um, and so I think, I just think anyone who likes music will like it, but especially if, if you knew Tim, those yeah. will be special to hear. And then I think the other thing to mention is, um, I think by the time this podcast comes out, it'll, the announcement will be live. I've been working with, some of the guys who are on staff at the ranch now and a couple other um, staff alumni to put together the first ever Philmont ultra marathon. So that was kind of Tim Borden and I's passion was to bring that idea to Austin St. George and it's, it's happening. 
So we're about yeah. to, by the time this is up, I think the registration link will be live and we'll have four distances. One that's like eight miles, basically up the stockade and then down Tooth Ridge. One that's like 18 miles that goes from Lover's Leap through Crater and then up to Tooth Ridge and back it, back down a marathon that starts at Rayado and goes towards crate basically works its way north west and then north through crater and miners park to shaver's pass everything goes down tooth ridge and then the 50 mile route which is i got to i got to plot the route and it's like selfishly just through my favorite part of the ranch which is the southwest corner and like no one ever goes there because it's far away but it's so pretty and so it, that follows like the southern boundary um, along the Rayado River all the way out to Apache Springs and then all the way north to Clear Creek and then Mount Phillips, then down um, through Cyphers into Hunting Lodge Clark's Fork and then up to Schaefer's Pass and down into Base. So that's going to be super cool. And I hope folks who are interested, even in the shorter distance, will come out for that. Yeah. I mean, even just hearing you describe those routes makes me want to become a runner all of a sudden so. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> i want to yeah i want to do that or maybe i'll just come out and like podcast like as you're running i'll be like how's it going yeah <laughs> perfect. share it with listeners <laughs> you've got <laughs> but, six months you can you can be ready <laughs> yeah that's incredible that's really cool i'm glad you guys are all working to put that together um always improving this the philmont staff alumni experience out there so yeah. okay final question Dave Birchfield, do you have an 11th essential? What I mean, would you, yeah, for you? Is it lame to say an instrument? I just, the amount of times that I was out in the backcountry with, specifically with Tim or Pete, without an instrument, and we were like, this is dumb. We should have had an instrument. Here, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's very fitting for you. I think that's a good one.